Well, last week I started a new mini-series, and it's going to end next week. That's how many it is. Entitled, Religion That is Pure and Faultless. You know, if I'm going to really invest myself in service to the Lord, I want to know what he accepts as pure and faultless. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his New Testament letter that bears his name, shared a formula with us. He said, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And then he names three different characteristics of what pure and faultless religion is. Now, last week we looked at pollution prevention because one of the characteristics of religion that is pure and faultless to God is that we keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. I don't have time to review everything we learned last week. If you missed it, you want to pick up on it because it'll be helpful to you because this is religion God accepts, not religion that I want to give him, but religion that God accepts as pure and faultless. Doug Britton reminded us that we are assaulted by non-Christian opinions and we often adopt them as our own without even realizing it. Because we're constantly being bombarded by messages from culture, we take things on that, that we, we don't even realize we're taking on, that we're absorbing. And so therefore, we need to learn to carefully evaluate everything that we take on board, what we read, what we hear, what we see. And we noted last week that we need to also evaluate everyone. We all have celebrities or you know, actors, sports people, uh, famous people that we tend to, to really admire. And it's not bad to do that, but we need to be careful of what worldview we're taking on along with our appreciation of their talent and their contributions. Today, we're going to talk about widow's welfare. That's the second characteristic in James's formula. Now, I'm going to have to really move fast because we have a lot of in the service today. So here's what I did. I prepared one of those little handouts that I often prepare. And so after the service, you can go to the resource area in the, in the back of the lobby, or Ceci uh, will be standing outside the door with some of them. And I have some of these notes for you so that you don't have to worry about getting everything down, particularly the quotes I'm going to share with you today. So 1.2 million is the number that represents the number of widows in the United States today. 700,000 will join their ranks this next year. 3.5 is the ratio that women are three times, 3.5 times more likely to experience widowhood than men are as widowers. 78% of widows said that this was the single hardest life experience that they ever experienced and had to navigate through. So it's no wonder that God included them and inspired James to write about caring for them. So religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this, not only to keep ourselves free from pollution by the world, but to look after widows. Now, widows have always held a special place in God's heart. And I could give you a lot of scripture. I'm going to give you two. In Psalm chapter 68, verse 4 and 5, Scripture says, Sing to God, sing praise to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and rejoice before him. He's a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. So, number one, if, if we have widows here today, and this is your, your, your area of life that you're navigating, know that God loves you. And God has special attention upon your life 
You were especially favored in his life. In fact, in the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, God made provisions as recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 14. He actually made provisions so that widows could have food and shelter and clothes. You know, back in that day, it wasn't like today. There was no social security benefits. There were no food stamps. There were no government associate, uh, assistance programs. And widows often found themselves totally destitute when their husbands died. And so God made provision. He said, every third year, bring an additional tenth of all of your harvests to the Levites so they can store it up so that widows could have something to eat over those three years. So they've always had a special place in God's heart. There are some misunderstandings about the relationship between widows and the church. One misunderstanding is that it's the church's responsibility to take care of all widows. Well, Paul, writing to Timothy, he actually wrote two New Testament letters to Timothy. Timothy is an apprentice of Paul, and Paul has sent him out to start Christian churches to spread the gospel. And so Paul is giving him a couple letters to instruct him what to teach once people have to come faith in Jesus Christ. And so he says this, in 1 Timothy 5 verse 9 says, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good. So he says, this isn't just a carte blanche statement of reaching out. These are two widows who have demonstrated character, who have demonstrated godliness, who have demonstrated benevolence to other people. The second myth is this, that it's primarily the church's responsibility to take care of widows. Again, Paul writes to Timothy, this time in verse 4 of chapter 5. If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should first of all put their religion into practice. What religion is that? Religion that is pure and religion that is faultless, that is acceptable to God. Put it into practice by caring for their own families and so repaying their parents and their grandparents for this is what? Pleasing to the Lord. In verse 16, it said, if any woman who is a believer, has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so the churches can help those widows who are really in need. And so what does James mean then when he says to us that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is taking care of widows? Well, a key to that is what he goes on to say. Not just widows, but widows who are in what? Distress. Remember back in this day, they didn't have all the programs that we have today. But even today, these are widows who are really needy. 1 Timothy 5.3 says, give proper recognition to those widows who what? Are really in need. 1 Timothy 5.5 says, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God because she has nobody else. She has no family. She has nowhere else to turn. She has no government benefits in our day. She is truly out there just leaning over the abyss of, of destruction. So widow's welfare then 
is a partnership between families, primarily, and families and the church. As we do in most other things in life, as we do with parents and parenting, we partner with you. And so the question is, how can we partner to ensure widows' welfare? How can we do that? I have no idea, but thank you for coming today. <laughs> I really didn't. As I shared with you last week, although I've read this passage many times, and every time I read this passage, it stopped me in my track and gave me pause to really think. I never taught on it. Never taught on it. And so I really didn't have answers. So what did I do? I, I, I basically did what I always do. I turned to others who have answers, and I researched, and I studied. And I studied a lot of different, different people and looked at a lot of different perspectives. And, and I found this, and I thought, wow, that's practical, that's insightful. Wow, this is practical, that's insightful. And it's because we, here at the bridge, if you're a guest, we try to send everyone home every week something they can really use in life, not just some theological concept. And so finally I came across a website and, and a woman who succinctly put everything I was reading in many different places into a list that I thought was profound. And she listed seven ways that you can help widows in your church. And her name is Miriam Neff, and she's the founder of, of Widow Connection, and her website is widowconnection.com. And if you're a widow, I suggest that you look it up. It's a faith-faith uh, website, and they have so many resources that they can offer you. But Miriam, having dealt internationally with literally thousands of widows, she herself being a widow, so she has experienced this firsthand, shares some things and some ways we can get started in our thinking of how we can be helpful to widows. And that's what I want to share with you, and I'm going to go quickly, okay? First, she says, please do stay connected. Stay connected with us. She says, there's really a huge hole in our universe. Don't assume we need space to adjust. And we often respond that way. Oh, don't bother. She, she's still grieving. She's still trying to work through this. She needs her space. Don't. She says, staying connected to people who have our best interests at heart is what we need. She says, please don't cut us out. Gay Clark from the Gospel Coalition said, a widow's deepest pain lasts longer than a year. Gay says, she may be numb even in the beginning, just numb just kind of existing for several months. She goes on to say, after the cards and letters stops, the visits drop off and friends return to their normal lives, her hardest work has just begun. How true that is. You know, normally when there's a trauma in our life of, of many different kinds, in this case, in, in, in a woman's life who loses her husband, there's a flurry of activity and a flurry of attention, but then it doesn't take too long before all that goes away and they're left on their own. She says, stay connected. We need you. She says, please do say you are sorry for our loss. Now, I emphasize our. And it was really profound. I thought, you know, what does that mean? When I first saw that, that line, I said, what does it mean, our loss? And then Miriam kind of clears it up. She says, we would rather you tell us you do not know what to say than tell us your story of losing your friend or even a close relative. She said, we may be able to listen to your story later, but not now. You know, now, 
we're doing all these things with a good heart, a pure heart, and, and a heart of empathy, and a heart of sympathy, and a heart of love. But we often think that, we'll, we'll tell you my stories, and if you hear enough stories, you'll be encouraged by them. Well, in reality, what Miriam has discovered working with thousands and thousands of widows is that those stories aren't helpful. They do want us to talk about their situation and talk about them and keep the focus on them and our empathy towards them and our caring towards them without bringing all these stories. Miriam uses an example. She said that one day after she had lost her husband, a friend came and she goes, I know what you're feeling. My cat died and just carrying my cat... And, and she didn't say anything. You know, she's a Christian woman, but really? Really? Do say you're sorry for our loss. Third, she says, do call and ask specifically. Wow, this was so insightful to me. What does she mean, ask specifically? Do call. Remember, number one, please do stay connected. But when you call, ask specifically. Now, what does that mean? She says, do not say, call me if you need anything. I love you, honey. Call me if you need anything. Just let me know. Call me if you need And we do it. I do it all the time. She says, ask specifically. Number one, oftentimes, it's a cliche response. And it's like saying, how are you today? No one really says anything. Oh, I'm fine. They get, their life can be falling apart. Oh, I'm fine. Because yeah, it's the proper response. She says, instead, when you call, say, hey, can we go for a walk? Let me pick you up. We'll go down to the beach. We'll just walk on the beach. We'll get a, a coffee, and we'll, we'll, we'll just spend some time together. Or call and say, hey, can I run some errands for you? Can I pick up some groceries? Do you need some medicine? Is there something I can do? Can I, can I run errands? Or better yet, can we run some errands? Can I run them with you? Or something like, hey, can you meet me for coffee? Let's, let's meet at Starbucks. Or let's meet here. Let's meet there. Let's just get together and let, let's meet. See, she says, ask specifically. Don't just say, hey, leave it up to them because they're probably not going to reach back. They're grieving. They need that reconnection, but they need reconnected to something specific rather than something so broad it just kind of fades away into the chaos of their life. Four, do refer to our husband's acts or words. Do refer to them. She says, we are so comforted by knowing our husband has not been forgotten. She said, don't leave our husband out of the conversation. And again, with good hearts, <laughs> we often say, bring it up. You know, you can just rip the scab off that wound again. You know, just let it go and get her mind thinking about different things and focuses on different. But here, all these widows come back and say, no. We want to talk. It's honoring to us. And it lets us know that, that our husbands aren't forgotten in our social circles, in our churches. It's important to us. Include them in the conversation. You're not going to hurt us. You're not going to reopen a wound. You're going to honor us. And you're going to honor our memory of our loved one. I was going to say, invite us to anything. Just invite us. Here's another one that we're going to really resonate with. 
She says, we may decline, but we'll appreciate being asked. And often they will decline. But we still need to ask. She said, do not assume we no longer want to participate in couples events. You know, so often couples are getting together and they're having dinner once a month and they're going out to movies together and all of a sudden her husband dies and all of a sudden she's not getting the calls anymore because the couples, again, are thinking, oh man, we... It's going to feel awkward to her. We're going to make her feel uncomfortable because here we are. With, we still have each other, and she's lost her husband. And, and it's better that we just, we'll just kind of do it ourselves. And we don't want to hurt her. So they said, that's the worst thing. She goes, we still want to be, we're still friends. My life still is going on. We still have relationship. Don't crowd me out thinking that you're going to hurt my feelings. She said, don't become discouraged at asking. You might ask 10, 20 times, hey, let's go to breakfast together. You might be doing it right. You might be asking specifically, not just saying, what can I do with you? And they say, no, no, I'm just not up to it. No, no, I'm not up to it. No, no, I'm not up to it. And pretty soon you go, oh, I'm just not going to ask anymore. Don't do that because they're in a process of grieving. It is a process. So keep asking. She said, in time, you know what? We're going to shock you. We're going to say, yeah, okay, when? And they're ready to go out and do it again. Six, walk the talk. Here's another really good practical suggestion that comes from, from these ladies who have experienced this challenge in life. What does that mean? It says, do not make conversation only offers. What does that mean? What do you mean conversation only offers? Well, she goes on to explain. She goes, a conversation only offers we're going to call you and we're going to go out to dinner. Hey, we're going to call you. We're going to bring you over to our house for dinner one night. You can have dinner with our family. And she says, and then never follow up. Those are conversation-only offers. But there's never any follow-up. She says, you know what? We would rather you say, I've been thinking of you. Or maybe we just believe, yeah, you know, I've been praying of you. We'd rather you just say that then make a conversation-only offer. And then we're sitting by the phone, we're waiting for the invitation that never comes. It just makes us feel invalued, non-valued. Walk the talk. Now, she actually gives a, a sixth one, because number seven I put in there. And I didn't include her number six, but I'm going to give it to you free. And you can write it down if you want. And it was, accept us where we're at. Accept us where we're at. You know, everyone is going to respond in this situation differently. Some of you really angry, and you're tempted to say, now we're believers, we can't be angry with God. Well, did you know that anger is one of the first phases of the grief process? We get angry. Hey, God can take it. God's okay with it. God gets it. You know, or they, or they might be just seem euphoric and everything's good. And say, oh, man, they got over that really good. Matter of fact, they got over that a little too quickly. You know, say, hey, listen, we're all going to be different places. And I'm not going to respond the same way somebody else responds. So just accept us where we're at. Number seven, and one I know from experience is, yes, we probably can use financial help. We can probably use some help. This one blew my mind. Coming from Rebecca 
Knapp from Ministry Matters. The typical widow in the United States sees her household income decline by 37% after her husband passes. 37% less money all of a sudden. Wow. Think about that. I did. I calculated my income and, and, and took 37% away, and I, I about had a nightmare right there. <laughs> Man, how would I live on that? See? But it's true. So, yeah, they, they, they do need help. And since women typically live longer than men, they must also stretch their finances to cover a longer period of time. And so, you know, that's another way we can help. If, if God has blessed us financially, we, we, we have money, and maybe, maybe our parents are gone, and maybe we can reach out. And, and, and if we do, let me encourage you to do it cash with a card, just hand a card with cash in it, you know? Because check, you got to get to the bank. Maybe transportation's a challenge. But, but let's support them. Let's help them out. And again, not everyone, but ones that we know are in distress. See, that's religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, is to look after widows in their distress. Now, you may be a woman who is experiencing this firsthand in our church. I want to offer you another thing that the bridge offers to you, as well as other people who have lost someone important in their life, and that is our Grief Share program. It's a wonderful program getting together with other people who are sharing a similar experience. And we've had many widows and widowers go through this program with extremely positive response. Many come back a second and third time through the program. Now, I know we had a program, it's a 13-week program. It started on September 3rd. I don't know where we're in the cycle. You'll have to go to Next Steps and they can help you when, when the next one's going to start or where you can jump in. But it's a really, really powerful way to bring some more healing. What is welfare? What's partner? I'm going to try to do a better job. And now I've got some tools that I can use. And now, at least I know a lot of things not to do. And I know what to replace those things that, from my heart of empathy, I would kind of embrace thinking I was doing the right thing when I'm doing the exact opposite thing. That's helpful. By the way, I tested this out the last service as several of our widows were leaving. I said, did any of that resonate with you? And every one of them said, absolutely. Now, we're going to prepare to close our service. We're going to receive communion. Our ushers are coming, and they're going to pass the communion plates. I encourage everyone to first take a cracker and put it on your lap, and then take a cup and hold it until we've all received, and we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together.